Hello, the internet, and welcome to season 208, episode one of Dirt Daily Zeitgeist, a production of iHeartRadio. This is a podcast where we take a deep dive into America's shared consciousness, and it is Monday, November 1st, 2021. We made it. People said we'd never make it to November 2021 (laughs) as a podcast, but we're here. We're here. To observe. National Calzone Day, mm-hmm. National Cinnamon Day, mm-hmm. Vegan Day, mm-hmm. Cook for Your Pets Day. Yeah. The, National are Vinegar all... Day. I didn't know Vinegar, vinegar needed wow. its own holiday. Snuck in there under the wire. Yeah. I mean, you know, vinegar. I mean, after all that sugar that we've been eating from Halloween, it, yeah. we need a little vinegar to exactly. balance things out. Mm-hmm. Isn't Halloween is like All Hallows Eve? So it's really like the day before. We have the official holiday, which is, of course, National Calzone Day. Of course, yes, yes, yes. yes. And All Saints Day or something. I don't know know what that means. I used to get stoked, though, because I went to a Catholic high school, and sometimes you get that day off. So Halloween could could really get fucked up on Halloween in high school. And then go to school the next day. (laughs) Well, my name is Jack O'Brien, a.k.a. Somebody once told me they're voting for Mitt Romney. He said, howdy, neighbor, I am Ted. While he seemed all nice and fun and his mustache was real dumb, I just knew that that asshole votes all red. That is courtesy of Christy Yamaguchi, man. Talking about how Ted Lasso, clearly a Republican. Come on, y'all. Let's be real. He's a lasso truther. And I'm thrilled to be joined, as always, by my co-host, Mr. Miles Gray. Yes, uh, Jack, your Pringles take seems to have offended a few people that they turned to mush. So in honor of that, I just want to sing this track to you. They say there is a sacred phrase once coveted by Frito-Lay, but you don't really care for Pringles, do ya? It goes like this from bottom to top. Once you pop, you just can't stop. A communion way for sexy, salty cousin. That's not true, Jack. They don't turn to goo, Jack. They'll crunch too, Jack. They'll still crunch too. Okay, thank you so much to uh, Marky Mark Aurelius on the Discord. Like that little gladiator reference and yeah, historical yeah. reference, but yes, they don't turn to goo jack, is what people seem to think. I I do say this: they they're they're not all chips, so they do something funky in there. I mean, they've been specifically sued in the UK for being a crisp, a potato crisp that is not like I think it's oh, less than fifty percent potato. Oh, so it's not just me saying that. I'm also not saying that they're not crunchy at first. I'm just saying that they are made from a slurry. But yeah, comparing them to <laughs> communion wafers is not quite fair. The, the food that is best compared to communion wafers are those uh, ice wafers? cream cones. Oh, oh, like the, sugar, sugar yeah, cones? Yeah, the sugar ice cream cones, which are yeah. not sweet. They're just made of communion wafer for some reason. I feel like they are from an era before we figured out how to... Uh, If if I were to ever believe in Christianity or follow Christianity, I would hope that the Savior, Jesus Christ, would want his body to have a little more seasoning than that. Right, right. If you're going to accept the Eucharist. But that's neither here nor there. I do just sprinkle a little barbecue seasoning on it, like the barbecue potato <laughs> you know, seasoning. The, the priest is like, give me the way yeah. hold up one second. Let me get this out of my pocket. <laughs> a little flavor. A little mm. the Cheeto mm. dust. I think you can buy Sweet Cheeto Sweet baby dust. rays. <laughs> 
Oh, Mark, Mr. Mark Zuckerberg, big fan. Not we're not big fans of his. He's a big fan of Sweet Baby Sweet Ray's. Baby. Anyways, Miles, we are thrilled to be joined in our third seat by yes. another one of these first-rate guests yeah. on our second-rate podcast. She is a radio and podcast producer, writer, editor, journalist, and filmmaker uh, who has worked for PRI, KCRW, Audible, as mm. well as Israel's Walla News. Her reporting and commentary has appeared in the Washington Post. Heard of that. You might have heard of that. Yep. BBC World Service, Vice, oh. and Good the night, South night. African Daily Maverick, among many others. And her documentary <laughs> film, Swing Country, recently premiered at the Wisconsin Film Festival. She's also a 2017 Jaws Emerging Journalist Fellow, which I'm assuming means she broke some stories about the Amityville mayor refusing to close the beaches during mm-hmm. a string of brutal shark, shark attacks. attacks. Yep. Uh, please welcome the brilliant and talented Yael Evan. Oh! Yael! Hi. Welcome. <laughs> oh, thank oh. you. That was a long intro. I know. Hey. Just just but it's, to... it's nice. That we have to let people know sometimes on this sad little show, we have a, accomplished, distinguished guests on. So thank you so much yeah. for coming by. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Thank you, thank for, you for inviting me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I never had a communion wafer before, but you made it sound really good. Oh, it's, it's so good. Delicious. It's, <laughs> it's so flavorless, you know? Yeah. It's really, I remember, you know, the first time I pretended to, like, take communion. Like, you know, you have to be confirmed usually, you know, like, or you have to you have pretended? your first communion. Yeah, because you all the pressure when you're like in a religious school, they're like, what, you're not you're not like everybody else. I'm like with my Asian mom and black dad, who was almost like an atheist. I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah, I love this. Yeah, let me, <laughs> let me hit that yeah. wafer real Once quick. You, pop, you can't stop. Yeah, can't stop. exactly. You're in New York, right? I am. Yeah, I'm in Brooklyn. How's the weather? Is it are we getting fall New York weather? I, yeah. is the weather did y'all get a storm too recently? We got a storm a couple of days ago. I think like because of that storm that no one was prepared for with all the rain. Mm-hmm. Now, like I, everyone was, you know, very, we were talking about it all day. And then I don't know, I went to sleep and I think it w- happened overnight. And honestly, I don't think it did as, you know, nearly any damage. So it was fine. Right. I'm yeah. enjoying, I'm enjoying the colder weather Yeah. for the next, you know, for the next month or so, then it will be too cold. Fully Are- cold. Yeah. I remember this in New York. I don't know if it's specific to New York or it's just a, you know, the most recent place I lived that has weather. <laughs> but like we we had a really big almost like blizzard. There were like over there was over a foot of snow in the streets and it like all came down at once to the point that my wife was driving home from the hospital and like her car got stuck in the middle of the street. Like just that's how much snow was coming down. Like it just got stuck mid snowstorm and like oh. I had to like shovel it out, but it was like still in the middle of the street. It got stuck like while driving. Oh my God. But then the rest of that winter, every time it was there was like a one percent chance of snow, the local news would be like, Blizzard coming. Everybody <laughs> right. like nail down everything, secure your children. And then it was it was nothing. But it was just like <laughs> once there was a weather event. Right. That, that was that's all they needed. Then it was yeah. a pock blizzard. Mm. Yeah. I just I love... would definitely take LA weather. Yeah. LA Bring weather. it here. Stay yeah. in New York. But I, oh, wow. and I'm so scared of like a situation like that because I didn't grow up with snow at all. So I would right. not know what to do. Yeah, right, pollution right, right. might be doing that work for you, you know? Yeah, it's I've, getting, I've winters that. are actually less harsh. I've seen, the, like, I've seen the projections. I think New York's going to be a tropical climate uh, by the mid-century, so. 
Yeah. You know, it's like Exxon always says, if you don't like the weather, just wait around 100 years and we will have uh, completely changed it. <laughs> yeah. You'll be alive globe. to see it, but <laughs> trust me, <laughs> it's, it's a little happen. Yeah. All right. Well, Yael, we're going to get to know you a little bit better in a moment. First, we are going to tell our listeners a couple of the things that we're talking about. We're going to talk about Iowa's capacity for empathy for people who don't believe in science. We're going to talk about whether the Department of Justice is actually going to do something about redlining. Please. We're going to talk about a billionaire and amateur architect who is designing uh, prison or dorms, I guess. Yeah, yeah. No, not uh, prison. Looks oh, like, well, it's yeah, a dorm. Yeah. It's a dorm. It's a dorm. Okay. And we will, of course, talk about the Squid Game moral panic uh, that is coming for all of us. All of that, plenty more. But first, we do like to ask our guest, Yael, what is something from your search history? Oh, so I moved a couple of months ago to a new apartment and I realized like a week ago that my favorite spot for reading is also the darkest spot in the living room. So I realized I needed a lamp. Mm -hmm. And... You know, I don't know if it just happens to me because English is my second language or it's a common thing. But do you know when you have like a product in mind, like you know how it looks like, but you don't know how it's called? I mean, mm. besides the obvious lamp, but I have this thing in my mind that it's like hanging on this shelf and it like I can still direct it to me, even though the shelf is on my side. And anyway, I have I know what you're describing. Yep. Mm -hmm. OK, <laughs> so I probably had like dozens or hundreds of Google searches just trying to kind of refine <laughs> that lamp I was looking for. Eventually, I settled on something like clip-on light with adjustable neck. Yeah, flexible mm. neck. I was going to say. Flexible neck. Yeah, yeah. Flex oh, you neck see you, you got it. Neck. Yeah. I went through like 360. I went through like there was another word. I don't know, like bookshelf, attaching to bookshelf. I also yeah, like a clippy lamp. <laughs> and a lot of it like they sell the clip-on as kind of the same side that the lamp is angled towards, and I actually need them to be opposite sides because oh. the shelf is near me. So it's not like a desk, you know, when you need right, a right, desk. Right, right, right. So I had to Google all these, like, goes both sides, like weird searches <laughs> like that. And then I 360 finally, goes both sides. Yeah, exactly. Light. And what made it harder is that I was trying not to buy from Amazon, and Amazon is really good at understanding what I'm trying to say. Right. So all searches always lead there. It was much more complicated when I tried to avoid them and go to Etsy and Right. Yeah, yeah. So that's many Google searches in the last few days. But I did buy a lamp eventually. So nice. Congratulations. That's huge. I, yeah. <laughs> As you were saying that, I'm like, gooseneck is one thing you'll say too, right? Like oh, gooseneck. Right. Gooseneck lamp. That. I just think of that as how I hold my follow through after I drain after, a three. After a gooseneck. When you pop three. Right. Yeah, when I, like did, pop I didn't see gooseneck. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's, that's a good idea. I mean, I, again, there's so many ways to describe the same product. But right. in the end, I'm glad that you found, uh, found the, the right well, thing. Well, I yeah. actually end up buying a different lamp. But the clip on. <laughs> 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 I settled on something that just sits on the shelf. But, but I oh, think I right. figured it out. And then, yeah. you it. know, I just saw my options and I went with another type of lamp. But. There it is. How is the move treating you? I, I know just from my time living in New York that it is oftentimes an annual, sometimes semi-annual occasion to move when you're living in New York. Yeah, I feel it's been like three months and I still, and this is like a regular point of like argument between me and my partner when I'm like, well, we're still in the process of moving. And he's like, we're, we're done. We're here. What are you talking about? Right. But I just feel like there's still 
we yeah. haven't figured it out, you know? Yeah. Yeah. You mean like in terms of like putting like where your stuff goes and that stuff like exactly that only? Yeah. yeah and like and like all these things all these adjustments of like all oh, the the swag you know made sense in the old apartment but now we need a bigger one or right. you know and you're like slowly just getting to all these things so and I think also like getting familiar with your immediate neighborhood too is also like part of I feel like part of that moving process because like right. you know you'll be like oh shit I've this is my store now. This is my bodega now. Or this is where I have to get groceries now. Or this is my where I get coffee. Yeah, now. where my subway you know? stop is. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. That's been easier than the the apartment stuff. But yeah, I know what you right. mean. Yeah, yeah. What uh, what's something you think is overrated? I was thinking about. I mean, it's gonna out me as kind of old, but like celebrating birthdays. <laughs> sure. I started hey. to think that is overrated, and it's. Mostly because my last, I had a birthday in September and there was this like perfect storm of, you know, COVID numbers I think weren't great. And I was actually recovering from medical procedure. And so I, you know, I was kind of quiet about my birthday. And also I just reactivate, deactivated my Facebook and Instagram. Mm. So, and I think, I don't know what younger people are doing, but like, I think people really got used to like learning i mean remembering oh, yeah. birthdays based on facebook right and so really almost no one remembered <laughs> that i had my birth it's kind of sad but you know just my friends and family and i think with everything that's happening you know it's just right and you don't have another system for mo- for the most part to remember yeah. so i just didn't do anything and you know everything was just kind of a normal day and i was like that's you know as an adult i feel like i can just celebrate if i want to celebrate something I can always come up with the reason. Like I can always be like, oh, I never did the housewarming or I want to invite people for this holiday or like I don't actually need that date. Well, and also now it won't be a problem because you can reactivate now that Facebook has changed their name to Meta, right? So I I actually did the permanently. I did this after like a month or two, I decided to permanently delete, which I think just (gasps) went into effect. So it's a good time, right? right? Yeah. 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 Are birthdays uh, among adults a bigger deal in the United States than Israel? You know, I don't, I don't know, but I do know that something really, a really funny difference I notice is that in Israel, and I'm assuming in other countries, like most of the world, like once you're like 35 and a half or like close to 36, (laughs) you're going to start saying you're 36. And Americans are like, they're not going to say it until the day, which right. I find very weird. <laughs> We're so you know? afraid of being old. It's, oh, yeah. Uh, it's been yeah, hammered yeah. in our heads with modern marketing campaigns. Yeah. Don't yeah. be an old loser. Yeah. But yeah, I think it's also like this idea, too, like as if you're like a sports agent and you're like, no, nah, this guy ain't 20. He's not. He's 29 <laughs> until he's 29, man. This kid's right. 28. Yeah. You know, oh, this guy's still yeah. got juice in those legs. Which is just a funny argument that I always see in like soccer discourse about people this always get into these arguments like this this player is nearly thirty years old. They're like, well, he's twenty nine, and they're like, but he's tw- he'll be thirty in three weeks, and they're like, he's twenty nine yeah. until he's thirty. Okay, and that's yeah, not what until is this? this? Day. <laughs> I, so why I actually, why is that? Like, if you're already like almost there, it's like I'm like at the half. I'm starting to switch. So yeah. I'm uh I'm I still give my uh, age in months, like I'm a newborn. I say oh, I tell wow. people that I'm 491 months. Say it in old. weeks, yeah. like you're still <laughs> yeah. in uterus. Months. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's funny though. That is such a such a telling difference about. America. I'm in yeah. my 120th trimester as a human. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, considering that, I guess maybe Americans are more precious about their birthdays. I mean, 
yeah. because that's the only day they're willing to actually change their age. So I don't know. I think it depends. Yeah, like sort of where you're at. Like, you know, I know people who are like, it's my birthday week. I'm like, okay, fool. Do you need more attention? Or okay, <laughs> fine. Right. Whereas I'm at that age now too. I have my birthday in September also. And my shit just felt like Wednesday. Right. You know, like, I think the one thing I really do to feel good on my birthday is look at the date and be like, yo, this is my one day. <laughs> right. And like, really look yeah. at my calendar. I'm like, there it is. September 15th. We're here, we baby. We did it, y'all. Love it. And that's, to me, I think the most, like, joy I get out of my birthday mm. is, like, looking at the calendar and be like, it's me, baby. And yeah. then that's it. But no it's party. between you and yourself, so. Between me and my yeah. God, the cell phone. <laughs> <laughs> what is something you think is underrated? Phone calls. Okay. I, I mean, specifically. Like this movement. Yeah. Oh, there is a movement. I'll join. No, I mean, like, this is a theme we've been hearing sort of it, mm. it, consistently, and I, I like to hear it. But go on. Yeah, I mean, I. Yeah, I can talk about like phone calls, like, you know, with friends and family. But I think like, you know, just recently I dealt with a lot of like bureaucracy and, mm -hmm. you know, just picking up the phone and call. like I just had this thing with my health insurance yesterday and I picked up the phone and I waited on the line. It wasn't pleasant, but like today it was fixed. And it's I think there is something about just like you're just there. You're waiting. Someone actually talking to you. It humanizes you. You explain to them why, you know, you're in a bind. You need so when it comes to like service providers, bureaucracy, whenever you can, and it's kind of frustrating that a lot of, you know, services and business don't give you the option anymore, but when right. you can. It's all automated. Yeah. And I, I do have that, like, I did get used to like avoiding the phone and, and, you know, like looking for the option for like the online chat or whatever. But recently right, yeah. I just, I'm like, I should just call more. And also I'm picking up the phone, which yeah. is radical. Unless wow. it's scam likely. Yeah. Right. But then now there's uh, there's uh, there's so many stealth numbers too that that like pop in on your phone that aren't labeled like that and it'll mm. be like really deceptive because it'll be like in your local area code and you're like right. oh maybe that's someone I know and then you pick it up and they're like you have missed your chance for a rebate right. on your Medicare I'm like what yeah, yeah but then it takes out, like a man. second to know and then you just hang yeah. Up. And then immediately I say block number. Yeah. Sometimes I'll cold call the uh, scam likely numbers on my oh. phone just to have someone to talk to, you know? <laughs> yeah. Is that depressing or? No, no, no. no. That's yeah. cool, right? Like, that's just a That's thing. cool. So that's I what actually... you're doing every time I tell you I'm too busy to talk. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Okay. Right. <laughs> oh, that's cool, man. That's cool. I'm actually going to call my friend now anyway. Oh, uh, yeah. I got I to gotta <laughs> run anyways because I got this uh, person that I got to talk to. Got this conference about call. About my opinions on uh, the local... Yeah, I actually have a call set up with the IRS. Like, I got to give them a bunch of info <laughs> or they're going to take my money. So I got to go to get a bunch of Best Buy gift cards right now. Got to talk to my friend about my uh, car warranty. Uh, apparently, it's, <laughs> it's, it's up running soon up. and just uh, getting their advice on that. But I got options. I literally just had a long interaction with, like, one of my local coffee places that I really like that like fucked up my order and I had my three-year-old with me and it was just a situation where I like couldn't go back to like get the thing that they forgot to give me and so I just like wrote them an email and was like it would be great if you guys like had a had a phone number that people could call they don't because, have a phone right. number they don't have a phone number they have mm. they have this like text a barista thing which i assume why would like, you text the barista <laughs> I, I like they said oh that's what you should have done is text the barista that they fucked up your order but 
that's it seems more like a novelty thing. So anyway, right. wait, what was your complaint exactly? I like how you like yeah, curious, you wrote yeah. a strongly worded email. Like, y'all really no, I didn't. I, like I was very like, you guys are my favorite. I, lo- I love this oh, place. This is more sandwich. just like in a yeah, this is more just advice for like and I just told the situation and that they like <laughs> some advice for your little <laughs> patronizing as fuck no no i'm no i'm fucking with you but what or, did they forget tell me what the transgression was what was the mistake i got lunch for my kids my wife and i and they forgot my lunch and all the sides wow and it also wasn't ready at the time like they didn't have my order when i showed up and then i was a biden jack with a oh yeah don't think that i wasn't like thanks a lot biden at the top of my <laughs> lungs the whole time that i was waiting for it but but wait you went to pick it up and did you notice that it was wrong or only when you got home only when i got home oh, and Lord. so i had already been waiting there with my three-year-old and like you know my three-year-old has a very short attention span and like isn't super patient and he was hungry and so when we finally got it, I just like grabbed it and, you know, left. And then when I got home, realized my food wasn't there. And right. it that's always when I got wrote a very politely worded email. <laughs> that's like your it was sad is like that's part of your shitty like lunch fate, because when we would do group lunches, too, there'd be times I'm like, everybody got their thing except Jack. <laughs> ah, they forgot your shit. And, then, yeah. and you were all normally you'll be like, nah, it's all good. And then we're like, no, nah. I remember I Sophie be like, no, nah, we got to go kick the fucking door down and go get your burger. And you're like, I'll just, I'll just get some. Was just writing emails I'll in the just corner. smell yours and that'll be good enough. Yeah. That'd be nice. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Well, let's take a quick break and we'll come back and talk about some news. And we're back. And, you know, it's good to see that at least one state in our grand United States actually cares about the little people who don't believe in science. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. This is cool. This is really cool to see. <laughs> uh, the Republicans are are here to help the unemployed as long as the unemployed uh, lost their job because they didn't want to get vaccinated. No other reason than that. Yeah. I mean, yeah, the vaccine hesitancy issue is continues never ending story in this country. The most recent headline was like 12,000 Air Force personnel are still like being like, nope, we don't want it. We like we'd love to be in cramped quarters with a pandemic going on and no uh, scientific recourse for safety. And now we're seeing this new really cool bill from the state of Iowa, which has just passed through their state house and i think potentially going to the governor's desk for a signature very soon but they've you know like like we've covered in past stories a lot of people thought their employers were pump faking or bluffing when they're like uh hey we we're, there's a mandate for our employees to be vaccinated also there's going to be a federal mandate that we're trying to abide by so get it together and then they found themselves being like i didn't think they were serious that someone who's a frontline healthcare worker had to be vaccinated against a pandemic oh well, now we have no jobs. Well, in, in comes the state of Iowa because they've just opened their hearts to these people who have no concept of altruism. They want to actually expand unemployment benefits to people that get fired for refusing. 
So uh, this Republican bill, quote, specifies that employees who refuse the vaccine and are fired with, uh, would not be disqualified from unemployment benefits. The bill additionally says employers shall waive a vaccine requirement for an employee who submits a statement that receiving the vaccine would be, quote, injurious to their health or well-being or that it conflicts, quote, with the tenets and practices of a religion the employee adheres to. The statement also would not need to be attested by a physician or a faith leader. Oh, okay. So, so you just can just be like, like a general vibe. No, nah, my doctor says no. Nah. And they're like, who's your doctor? Like, that's illegal. A doctor can't <laughs> attest to this. I'm just saying that's my sort of frequency I'm vibing at right now is I don't want the vaccine. HIPAA, HIPAA. Yeah. And I mean, it's like a very, it, I think what's interesting about this bill, though, too, is like it's getting like a, a lot of opposition from all sides. Like there are Democrats, business owners who are like, what is this? Like, this is this is actually going to put people at risk. And also, it's creating penalties for employers who are trying to follow mandates like because the, right. they're going to because they also want people who are going to fire them for not getting vaccinated to pay more into the unemployment fund as oh. a result of this. So they're like, this isn't really sustainable in any way. Like, if anything, you're using like financial threats to get people to ignore a mandate. And then on the anti mask vac side, they're like, this doesn't go far enough. Mm-hmm. They should. They should throw the employers in prison if they mandate a vaccine. And also, like, they should also, this this really just needs to be an all-out ban. So it's a very sticky situation in that And you state. probably have to do some, like, investigation into any of these, like, unemployment claims to see what it's about, which I don't know what the situation right now, but, you know, for a while, there was such a crazy backlog with unemployment in so many states. So it's, like, right. really creating so much more work, yeah. it seems. Like, I don't even... I don't know how in practice you really approach this kind of, I mean, would the that's A like firing because, yeah. Right. I'm I think that's what many people who are looking at this are like, this doesn't, this just sounds like a thing you're saying to like help anti-vaxxers feel better. Like we don't even know legislatively, like it's not very clear how this works and is going to not turn into like a runaway train that ends up just like bankrupting businesses. If people just start being like, if we all quit in mass, then they're going to have to force to pay into the unemployment and then yeah, what? But fair. the irony is just kind of next level, like that you have people who don't feel beholden to anyone also have the expectation of financial support for their selfishness, too. Right. <laughs> like, yeah. Like, everybody else should what? pay for my ability to disregard their safety. Yeah. Maybe we fire them and hire them to work from home and help with the backlog of people who unemployment. need unemployment support. <laughs> that way yeah. they don't get unemployment. They just... I mean, that is the the problem in America is that, you know, ever since Reagan, they've just been like bureaucracy has been seen as a bad thing. So there aren't enough bureaucrats. And instead, they anybody who wants financial support from the government needs to become a full time bureaucrat just to fucking juggle it. So maybe maybe that's what we can do. Send all those people to the salt mines of (laughs) helping people get paid unemployment. Also, just as an immigrant in this country, I want to remind people that like people are like, oh, why they're so, you know, vaccine mandates. Why is the U.S. so forceful about them? Like people who weren't born here always had to get a lot of vaccines to just be here. Right. Like, right. That was always. And they add co- they added COVID-19 as well. So it's like if you come to this country, you're trying to get a visa or when you do a green card, like I come from a pretty I mean, Israel is pretty big on vaccines and I still had to do a bunch of vaccines. And like, otherwise, I just I couldn't be here. So it's not mm. like the U.S. all of a sudden is like, oh, let's enforce vaccines. They're always enforcing them just right. on people who are not citizens. 
Oh, yeah. wow. Like, you, so you've been here for a while and they just, you were still forced to get the vaccine forced. like right away. Like, well, no, <laughs> I'm just happily, saying like, happily, I know. I know yeah. Yeah. No, yeah. I mean, yeah, I mean, no, I, I was a little, I was a vaccine hesitant for only because I couldn't find my record, like my vaccine record from when I was a baby and, right. or my mom couldn't find it because I never held it right. myself. And I was like, I don't want to get like a second vaccine for something that I'm already vaccinated for. But there was really no like wiggle room, you know. So like right. when you come to the country, you have to get a series of vaccine. Right. I was on a student visa. And then when I got a green card, like six years after, there's like another long list of vaccines. And if I couldn't prove that I had them through antibodies or vaccine records, I had to get a bunch of them again. So, yeah. Wow. Right. Yeah. Wow. And that's always the process. So and now they added COVID-19, which makes sense. Right. But. Just to like anyone that thought that like, oh, everyone here has the freedom to not get vaccinated if they want to. That's no, it's just for citizens. Right. Yeah. Mm. But yet here they are. Their, their freedoms are being infringed upon. Uh, just it's amazing how that one word is just like a catch all to just say like, no, the law is negated because freedom. Right. Human decency negated because freedom. Yeah. It's like, mm, interesting. Well, yeah. All right. Let's talk about redlining. Mm -hmm. You know, it was it was. I feel like most people who listen to the show would know what redlining is, but it was the, you know, racist practice of making it so that people of color and black households, Hispanic households could not get loans for homes to be yeah. couldn't become homeowners and therefore couldn't grow their wealth. Yeah, quite literally drawing red lines on a map where where there are communities of color and banks are like, don't invest there. Yeah. Don't allow people to get loans. We're not interested in those. And yes, like you're saying, a racist practice that was technically outlawed in 1968. But the negative impacts, we still feel them today. I mean, yeah, just yeah. quickly. I mean, we've talked about it before, but it still happens informally in the real estate market with landlords and real estate agents claiming there aren't a, uh, apartments available to families of color or not showing them houses in neighborhoods where they believe or where they claim that a family of color would lower the property value. That's a like piece of accepted wisdom in the real estate uh, industry in a lot of places. That's actually a thing that real estate agents and landlords have been caught on camera and on audio doing right. in the last few years in, you know, backwater shitholes like, I don't know, New York City <laughs> and New Jersey. Gasp. And, you know, L.A. Like, the yeah, it's just everywhere. Yeah. I mean, and, and, and as you look, like you're saying, right, home ownership, like in America, the path to wealth accumulation is typically inter intersecting with property ownership, with owning your home. And when you look at, at the start of 2020, nearly 75% of white households own their homes compared to 40% of black households or 48% of Hispanic households and or even 55% of other racial minority households. So the DOJ has announced that it's going to be tackling this problem with a new initiative called the Combating Redlining Initiative and taking many approaches to sort of try and create some more financial equality, like strengthening their working relationships with financial agencies to make sure like redlining, like they're like, oh, like we can identify what's happening here and referred to authorities, also increasing coordination with state officials to weed out potential fair lending violations. But at the end of the day, like this, while this is a great thing, I think one of the biggest missing like facts that isn't talked about enough when you talk about like the income inequality or the just the huge differences that we have 
in financial outcomes for white Americans as it relates to more specifically to black Americans, but minorities as a whole, but also talk about black Americans. This this relates specifically to chattel slavery is that, you know, there have just been generations of black people who have been kept from attaining wealth. And this has been happening again since chattel slavery. And it's a huge contributing factor to the inequality we see today. Just like if you zoom out, right, and you look at the value of slaves, slavery, the four million slaves that were in the U.S. in 1860 were worth about four billion dollars in 1860 time. In today's money, that would be close to 42 trillion dollars. That's what the slaves were worth. Okay, and then if you zoom out a little bit more and you say, well, what about the wages that potentially were kept or could have been paid to slaves? That comes out to about twenty point three trillion dollars in wages if there if slavery was a wage uh, mm. <laughs> wage gig rather than fucking slavery. Right. So you're thinking of these are massive amounts of money that were taken off the backs of the slave labor and now just put into all kinds of communities in the United States. You also look at the Homestead Act where people were given houses that were basically taken from Native Americans. That was mm. that was mostly for white people. They say about you know forty eight million people in the United States benefit from the Homestead Act, probably unbeknownst to them. And this is sort of the table that black Americans were given a seat at. And that's the gap that, you know, black people have had to overcome. And when you look at how redlining took another opportunity for upward social mobility away, it becomes truly staggering as it relates to redlining in like the 50s and 60s, though, like this is when most people's grandparents were buying homes and things like that. Percentages of house ownership went from 30% to 60%. But in that time, 98% of the home loans were given to white families. So at every stop, you're like, there's so much shit to overcome. And when you look at this redlining task force, I'm like, this is great. But also when you really think about what you are trying to, how you're trying to rebalance the scales, it's such a minuscule drop in the bucket, especially when you think about the, you know, 40 acres and a mule that were promised to newly freed slaves as well and how the government reneged on that and there's that's also trillions of dollars in wealth that completely could have been in the hands of black families yeah so it's just a very interesting thing to mull over as like the headline is merely talking about redlining without like come on give people like really the foundational understanding of like why this needs to be addressed so what are they gonna do I mean, in this instance, they're just saying we're going to do better about being taking, yeah. uh, you know, discriminatory lending practices seriously. But then that's why I'm saying, like, I really want people to have the perspective of like, well, here's the thing. Imagine if descendants of slaves were actually got were given some kind of reparations, reparations yeah. you know, and what that actually means to create some level of equity, because at every turn, there was just these moments where the United States government were able to just sort of reinforce this caste system very cynically. And now we're only getting to a point where like we're talking about just the a drip in the bucket. Yeah. Yeah. The 42 trillion, like just to think about that, that 42 trillion dollars worth of, you know, value that was mm-hmm. stolen from black slaves. And that was used by the families, the plantation owners, the to become extremely wealthy. And that money is still in those communities like yeah. to this day. Like that's that it's it's a thing that's so foreign to Americans like they I'm reading this book, The History of Debt, the first 5000 years. And the author like uses this phrase, a person who acts like he doesn't owe anything to anyone. And he's like, would 
uses it as like a self-evidently like thing that stupid or unvirtuous people would do. And like that's not a saying in America because that that's almost like the American ideal. Like when you Google that in America, they're like, you don't know shit to anybody. <laughs> like there yeah. it's just people reinforcing yeah. that. And it's the the idea that you you know, we rewrite people's life stories mm. for them or only listen to the parts of their life stories that involve them pulling themselves up by their bootstraps. We, you know, this is what that Malcolm Gladwell book Outliers was about is like people who have advantages, they get their have their stories rewritten. So instead of focusing on the fact that Bill Gates was like uniquely wealthy and in a school system that had the only computers where he could have learned programming as a kid. His story gets retold so that he is a college dropout who like made it from nothing to becoming Bill Gates. And it's just like so outside of the American ideal to think about the fact that you are the result of a number of you know, ancestors, people before you who got breaks or were robbing people. And like, that's just so hard for Americans to wrap their head around, I think, specifically because we are founded on a a country of, you know, slavery. And so it's a thing. It's a Mm. memory that they specifically don't want to have. And therefore, we've built our entire ethos around the idea that we're all just starting from a blank slate. Yeah, America yeah. started in 1920. Right. You know what I mean? It's like, don't look about anything before that. Right. And I mean, and I think that's why we're seeing just all of the the panic around like educating people and what it yeah. means to teach history in this country because it's it's about confronting the ugly shit that is part of your history that you have to learn from to be able to move past it, to grow past it. If you're going to always make yourself ignorant of those things, then, you know, like that, saying goes you're doomed to repeat it and we are continuing to and still shrug like shrugging our shoulders like what's going on how do we still huh yeah you really helped me organize thoughts about just always feeling like this is a more ahistorical culture that i'm in and i live here but i will say about reparations that also from like a foreign perspective it's really not a radical proposal when you are um when you have family who's been through the Holocaust because, you know, my grandma would get reparations until she passed last year from Germany. So it's like, yeah, that, it has. Yeah. Yeah. It's not it's not radical. It's not unheard of. It's just radical to the very like white supremacist sort of mindset of of Americans. And well, yeah, because you have to, for that to happen, you have to acknowledge, acknowledge that the United States is where it's at because of chattel slavery. Like, yeah. mm-hmm. the amounts of wealth, it, untold, like, no one even came close to the amount of money that was being made with slaves uh, in yeah. the United States. Like, the South was, like, the most profitable tiny piece of land during that time because of all of the, the slavery. And I think that's a huge part that, you know, it's like, just like with anything with people like what's my white privilege like more than that american privilege or the foundation financially that the this whole thing is set up on is is so fucking ugly but again it's easier to just say like yeah it was just like a couple people were doing it it's not really like the the main engine financial engine of the country when it's exactly what it was yeah so it it sounds like this task force is not going to try to necessarily 
deal with the sins of the past, but more like tackle what is still happening, like what's actively happening now with lenders. Is that is that right? Yeah, I mean, that's what it is. Yeah, exactly. Like, this is yeah. what we can do now. But it's like one of these yeah. things where it's like somewhat the damage is so significant from everything else preceding it, that yeah. it just feels it's really bad faith bad gesture faith. to not truly observe that and say, wow, that's a lot of money that is owed to these people. Yeah. Because we basically just brought them over in bondage and extracted every last drop of value from these people's bodies. Yeah. We covered a story last week about how one of the guys running for Virginia governor, uh, the Republican, not not surprisingly, helped a woman who th- like was outraged that her high school aged son was being asked to read Toni Morrison's Beloved. And like she was the one making the ad about it. She was the one who she didn't say what the book was, but acted like that was pornography or like some sort of just yeah. violent uh, act of violence when it's actually a Pulitzer Prize <laughs> winning like one of one of the great novels based on actual time. events based on actual events. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But that's violence to the American psyche for the reasons that we're talking about in this story. Yeah. All right. Let's take a quick break and we'll come back and talk about other stuff. And we're back. And there's a long tradition of rich people thinking that they are good at the thing, not the thing that made them like famous or rich in the first place, but like something else that they're just going to like try their hand at. Though just the soothing confidence that comes along with amassing just obscene amounts of money. Yes. Enough people just tell you you're great enough times and you're like well i'm probably great at this thing too that i haven't hey hand me that violin what is that a stradivarius (laughs) check this out (laughs) yeah just killed it you're like no that was shit that sucked man (laughs) it's you know the bubble episode of 30 rock where john ham is so good looking that he thinks he's like a master chef and and he's like here try my orange gatorade chicken (laughs) and uh, liz is like oh my god this fucking sucks man but like can't tell him because he's so good looking like it's that but times a billion because it's billionaires and you know everybody just kisses their ass nonstop. and our latest uh, entertaining example of this in in the united states is warren buffett's right-hand man charles munger who mm-hmm. is Great offering name. to build a building for a university but only if he gets to design it badly <laughs> I'm I'm a I'm an architect and I'm a billionaire. <laughs> if you want this money, I have to design it. It's essentially yeah. the agreement that he has with UC Santa Barbara. If you've been to UC Santa Barbara's campus, it's fucking beautiful. It's like on mm. a it's like on a seaside bluff and shit. And you're like, God, why didn't I go here? I'm, <laughs> right. I'm just homesick and I just wanted to stay in LA. But anyway, he's apparently gonna be contributing $1.5 billion dollars to build this fucking dorm, massive dorm complex or building. And his whole thing is, you know, this isn't his first foray into dorm design either, you know, because <laughs> obviously wealthy people giving money to a college and being like, name building after me is normal. Like, that's just how yeah. business is done. So he's done it at Stanford and also the University of Michigan. 
And again, he was just saying, like, I've got these ideas, man, these architectural ideas that I want to see manifest into these buildings that I will pay for. And the Stanford residents, they seem pretty straightforward. Apparently, they're, they're described as normal apartments. The Michigan Hall and the one at UCSB, most people describe that as, quote, most bedrooms don't have windows. Hey. <laughs> and you're like, wait, <laughs> huh? Hold on. I wait. thought you had a very... Very like, what was your vision here? And the, Munger himself, he says that these buildings, quote, have a focus on providing ample interactive spaces for students, minimizing costs by maximizing the number of beds on a given site, employing the concept of repeatability. Mm -hmm. but oh, what mm -hmm. is repeatability? Well, oh, that it you, looks the same over and over again. Right. And if you look down at a very crude sketch of what this building looks like, it looks like a fucking prison. You're like, mm. these just look like a bunch nice. of cells organized around like this central corridor. Yeah, we're, we're failing to see what is truly transformative about this design, especially as it has no windows either. The I mean, <laughs> don't take our expert <laughs> architectural opinion on this. The architectural <laughs> expert who was in charge of like consulting on UCSB's projects, Dennis McFadden, resigned from the university's review committee. And in his resignation letter noted that because of Munger's project, he resigned and noted that this building would qualify as the eighth densest neighborhood on the planet, falling just short of Dhaka, Bangladesh. Yeah. Wow. So. <laughs> so, but how did he get into the business of designing dorm buildings? Like what inspired him? It sounds like if you, if you have the money to be like, I'm going to design this, you might choose like a different... Like a movie theater or like an exciting. Right. I don't I th know. I think he truly believes that he has this like vision that is going to shift the paradigm of design. Because again, I think as it relates to his wealth, you are the right hand of like Warren Buffett, the Wizard mm -hmm. of Omaha. And I'm sure in your mind, you're starting to get it, be like, man, like I can't lose. I haven't made a bad financial decision in like eight, 80 straight years. How because could this they're not rewriting to their, building yeah. design. Because he's probably doing the thing that all Americans get to do when they get rich, which is rewrite their story so that every one of those financial victories was like a underdog story that they just like pulled out because they're a genius instead of like, yeah, you started out working for Warren Buffett, built up enough wealth that you were able to take advantage of a rigged system over and over again. But, and also, yeah, desperate the desperation of, you know, fight like educational institutions because they're like these on these mm. ridiculous profit models where they're yeah. like they're courting money to be like, yeah, we got to improve this. I guess we'll let this fucking idiot be like, <laughs> hey, man, I got these ideas. I'm the next fucking Frank Lloyd. Right. I got a billion dollars. You're like, uh -huh. great. Uh -huh. And then as back to that thing about McFadden, the, the architect that resigned, he was just like very just straightforward points out too. He's like, also, the university provided no justification for ignoring well-established research that natural light and views of the outdoors are vital to healthy living. Yeah. But they were just saying, like, well, the yeah. thing is, we're bound to Munger's vision because that's the agreement we have. 
<laughs> and this is in America the argument against taxing billionaires is uh, they do so much good though, like when they donate, like the Langone Medical Center, Ken Langone, the guy behind Home Depot, like he he did that, and just because he also because he's demands racist every day of his life, right, just because he was racist and demands that we let him do every third open heart surgery until he gets good at it, <laughs> uh, has nothing to do with the, you know, it's like, oh my god. It's free money, man. Free money. Right. What, what are you He's like, do? I just saw Patch Adams, man. <laughs> I, get, I could I fucking it. do that, man. I, I could be a pediatrician. It. I can right. get I can get laughs from kids. Do I have any medical training? No. But I have a billion dollars and your funding is <laughs> dire. So what's it gonna be? It is really like what just I don't know. That that's something that we should like do a whole series on is just like people thinking that be their skills mm. at one thing will translate to something else and just how the dunning kruger cast yeah right. <laughs> it almost never ever becomes like uh, somebody sh- on twitter tagged me in a video of dj khaled playing a guitar that he yeah. was like gifted from the bob marley thing mm-hmm. and they're like yo what's your take on this and i looked at it, dude dj khaled can't play a fucking guitar uh. and he's like yo thank you so much <laughs> like no chord, nothing. It's out right. of tune. He's just like open strumming, but then like half touching the frets. Mm-hmm. And he was acting like he was fucking Shredding. like Bunny Whaler or some <laughs> shit. You know what I mean? And you're like, what the fuck? This man is dead ass serious looking in the camera like he's giving people the performance of his life. And I'm like, this Dunning Kruger guitar solo right here. Yeah. He truly, again, he's like, I can't lose when it comes to music, even if I quite literally don't know how to play this instrument and that's a good podcast <laughs> also like at what point in your life you're supposed to stop trying, trying new things <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right at least enough to know to respect the outside opinion at least right? not publicly right. try them i yeah. feel like you could do a whole show and like you know i i'm fascinated with the architecture in dubai and like there's mm-hmm. this one like youtube channel where like like city planners or architects are just destroying Dubai. <laughs> they're like, this place makes no fucking sense yeah. at all. Like, they're like, first of all, look at where this, like, just like the most basic things mm. they're pointing out. And you're like, damn. But again, yeah. you're talking to people who are so fucking wealthy and their whole thing is like, we're going to have the biggest sky piercing phallic building on earth. Yeah. I don't mm-hmm. give a shit about sustainability or building practices. Then you get these like weird, half thought out places that are just being like this thing's going to be like a just a total disaster in a few years yeah when my wife was in medical school at mizzou and it was around the time that they were opening this new arena that was gifted to them by the waltons you know the walmart heirs and they named it after their daughter I forget what her name was, but about like Cassidy, (laughs) right? The Cassidy (laughs) sports arena. And like, right as they were about to open it, her, like somebody came out and was, she was like, still like she had graduated college two years before. (laughs) And somebody came out and was like, yeah, I wrote all her papers for her. She just paid me to write all her papers for her. And she didn't even go to Mizzou. So already it was like, what the fuck are y'all doing? Wait, what? Yeah. It's wild, man. Dude, people got too much fucking money. Too much money. Yeah. Yeah. But God forbid they actually just fucking pay their taxes and we're able to. No. I'm in a basketball arena after my newly graduated daughter from a different school. Yeah. (laughs) All right. Let's talk about uh, the Squid Game Moral Panic. I have finished Squid Game, Miles. You have finished Squid Game. 
We were going to mm-hmm. talk about it on a future episode, but for any Zeit gang who are kind of muddling their way through next couple of days, we're going to we're going to do a, a dive into our feelings on Squid Game. So, uh, you know, I haven't watched it. Sorry. Yeah. No, oh, it's no good. worries. We're we're going to we're going to hold it. We're going to give them fair warning. Let them. Yeah, uh, there's no this will be up. a spoiler free yeah, is... discussion okay, of good. the show. Yeah, you know, but you you have a basic understanding of the show, right? Mm hmm. Okay. Then oh, no, I don't. More... Sorry. Oh, I don't know okay. <laughs> okay. Do you know <laughs> anything about you'll it? You'll have, I don't know. No, I don't. Well, I know oh. people like it. Right. Yeah. And I but think I haven't f- tapped into it at all. For, yeah, many reasons. It's, uh, it's a very, like, you know, uh, violent, but poignant, uh, like, critique on capitalism and things yeah. like that. Mm-hmm. And just, and I think because of the current tone on earth, it's just become the most popular show ever that Netflix has had. Yeah. And I think now, and just generally now, because like you're saying, like even you as someone who hasn't seen it, like you have an idea because there's just so many memes and articles that just by osmosis, yeah. you probably have a general idea. Yeah. So the ultimate sign that it has become important in the culture is that it has created a moral panic across the globe. <laughs> so people are up in arms, uh, parents in particular, because there is evidence of kids imitating the games from the show in real life, which would be... A little bit more concerning if they weren't all literally schoolyard games for children like that. The point of the show is that they make these contestants play schoolyard games for children. And but with the stakes with, are your yeah, life. The stakes are you die. <laughs> but yeah, everywhere from Canada to the UK to Australia, this is apparently considered a problem. And it's really amazing that like it's a, it's really having to bend over backwards to come up with a reason to be offended by this show right is it because they're like i mean because they I'm, I'm presuming they don't have firearms like in the tv show no they're just like playing the game like one kid came home and like told their mom that like people were saying they were playing squid game games on the playground and the mom was like terrified but squid game games are red light green light like and fucking <laughs> marbles like it's not <laughs> It's games that I played in gym class. Like yeah, there's up. not like fashion a shiv out of a popsicle stick and buck 50 your classmate. Like that's not a script right. game. What, there's one example, a Belgian school issued a warning because a student said they were playing the game and then punching each other, punching the person who lost, which again, not great, but again, a thing that all kids do like and have done since the beginning of time. Elementary schools in New York State are banning Squid Game costumes from their Halloween celebration because of the violent message aligned with the costume, which I I I dressed like I talked about this on an episode last week. I dressed as fucking like somebody who had been murdered basically every day (laughs) for every Halloween costume. Like you dress like like, soldiers, like you dress like other characters from movies who well here's the thing. I think this is the thing, right? This is part of the American psyche. You can't look at a soldier and think of foreign policy and imperialism. You look at that and you go, that's a job. That's an army guy. Mm. Yeah. But then because I have no concept for these other things yet. uh, Yeah. It's just it's just funny that with Squid Game, it's like the violence. I mean, the Mm. like the other meme that is was taking people by storm this Halloween was a bunch of memes of young children hugging Michael Myers. Like that was one of like, yeah, Michael Myers from Halloween. There were a bunch of viral videos of like, adorable, this kid is hugging Michael Myers, who just 
to reiterate, is only famous as a character who butcher knifes teenagers to death. Oh, he's not a <laughs> he's not a child development specialist, <laughs> right? <laughs> and the misunderstood childhood preschool teacher. And to your point about <laughs> about soldiers, I you know pe- people are acting like this is unprecedented that like adult culture, like adult violent culture, would uh, trickle down to mm-hmm. children. I grew up watching Rambo, The Force of Freedom, which was a cartoon in which like where the in which the protagonist was Rambo, the character from the R-rated movies who like just murders people where there's like a body count of thousands. Yeah. So, you know, I think I think this is a real double standard where, you know, I think people would be less concerned about this if all these things weren't attached to a show that is a critique of late stage capitalism. That's pretty poignant, you know. Is it also because it's not American, maybe? Well, I don't yeah, know. I think it's probably. Not in English, yeah. Like, look, yell with America. There's all I would always bet on <laughs> xenophobia, big time. Uh, yeah. <laughs> whenever, if that's an option. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, I think that's what's really interesting is like, like you're saying, like there were kids who like looked like a they had like a fucking saw blade in their fucking head yeah and they're like taking a spelling test and like oh that's cute and that's why i'm really curious what exactly are they saying like where's the consistency if they're even able to articulate it or because on some level i do also just count on some school people to just be like not really know what the show is about they just heard like like oh my god it's so violent Mm -hmm. and then they're just like that's not good for kids and then that being the only reason without then taking the, the thought experiment further to be like, well, sh- I guess that uh, Derek Chauvin costume was OK from those other kids. Like, <laughs> right. like, what the fuck is this? Yeah. And I mean, this is this is also like parents being outraged about something that is popular, like is an age old tradition <laughs> around the world from comic books. There's like a gay panic around comic books, video games, Dungeons and Dragons to the works of Charles Dickens. Victorians worried that racy novels were causing children to grow up too fast and robbing them of their childhood. And it was, you know, they just wanted them to read the Bible and not, not right. Charles Dickens. That was that Well, was the, the Bible was, was pretty violent, too, so... Exactly. Hey, hey, At least hey. my Bible. I don't know about the New Testament. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm sure no. it's pretty violent. Too. Oh, you got to check out the New Testament if you like violence. <laughs> There's some <laughs> freaky shit towards the end. <laughs> Real freaky shit towards the end. But, you know, just let the kids play. You know, yeah. it's just I remember in my school, they they tried to ban like West Side Connection. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, because they're like, but that's more, I think, racist, too. They're right. Like, we don't want them doing black stuff. Yeah, because I was famously reprimanded for throwing up West Side in a class photo. Oh, uh, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In front of everyone. Tore up the picture. But in front of God yeah. and everyone. In front of God and everyone. And I say, <laughs> you know what? God is an OG. And, he's, right. and he holds it down for the West Side. Uh, well, yeah, it's been such a pleasure having you. Yeah. And now I want to watch the show. I will watch it now. Nice. Uh, yeah, where can people uh, find you and follow you? Well, as I said, I'm no longer on Instagram or Facebook. But I'm you, still healthy. on Twitter. Yes, the health food at... of social networks, right? Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm just not very active, but I am still there. I'm at Yael Even Or, so it's just my name in a row. That's it. Boom. Not a lot of Yael Even Or out there, I don't think so. <laughs> yeah. And is there a tweet or some other work of social media you've been enjoying? 
Yeah, I well, I don't know what I've been enjoying, but there's this tweet. It's really their responses to that tweet. Mm-hmm. That someone had tweeted the other day. I think I think this user is like 18, according to their bio. And they tweeted, I done two COVID tests and I'm negative, but I feel so ill and cold. WTF, anyone else had this? And then everyone is just like, <laughs> just bashing her for like, whatever happened to Common Cold? Like people right. forgot that it exists. Like RIP Common Cold. And it's really funny. Just like 800 like quote tweets. And she's like, LOL, didn't expect that reaction. I guess it is cold. Like it's just, and it's kind of true. Like I remember at the beginning of the pandemic that it was more like, you know, I would talk to my mom and I'm like, are you being careful? Cause I would hear a cough. And she's like, people cough before coffee, just relax. But now it's just kind of like, I do right. the same thing. Like every time I feel slightly ill, I'm just like, I have COVID. Yeah, it happens. You know? Miles, where can people find you? What's the tweet you've been enjoying? Find me on Twitter and Instagram at Miles of Gray. Also, the other show, 420 Day Fiance, where we're talking 90 Day Fiance with uh, Sophie Alexandra. So come through with that. Man, there's been so many good tweets. Where do I even begin? Let's start with this one. This is from at Nurse Chocks, C H O C S tweeted i love irregular texters because there's yes. a mutual understanding between us that it's okay to text back five days later with no bad vibes that is me <laughs> that's me baby it's <laughs> not bad vibes that i just have a fucked well. up relationship <laughs> with my phone and i don't like using it all the time and then another one from uh yadoye past guest uh, at yadoye underscore tweeted the plural of kid cuddy is kids cuddy <laughs> so i just want to put that out there for everybody all right it's good to know little grammar lesson. Mm-hmm. Let's see. I, you can find me on Twitter, Jack underscore O'Brien. Uh, I was enjoying a lot of the Mark Zuckerberg, mm-hmm. you know, responses. The, let's see, somebody Metaverse. tweeted. <laughs> yeah. Ben Acker tweeted, that ought to do it. And then attribute that to Mark Zuckerberg. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, Alex Carey <laughs> <Kerr, laughs> tweeted a screen cap from the Metaverse video and said, still thinking about when Mark Zuckerberg said this. And then the closed captioning Makes it look like he's saying, if you die in the metaverse, you die in real life. (laughs) And then John Merriman tweeted, look, I've said it before and I'll say it again. I say things three times. (laughs) I just like that. You can find us on Twitter at Daily Zeitgeist. We're at The Daily Zeitgeist on Instagram. We have a Facebook fan page and our website, dailyzeitgeist.com. We post our episodes and our footnotes. footnotes. We link off to the information that we talked about in today's episode as well as a song that we think you might enjoy. Miles, what song do we think people might enjoy today? Man, I uh, I messed up. You know, I should have I should have suggested this song before Halloween, but I just want to go out on a on a spooky track. This is Viernes 13, you know, Friday the 13th. A very spooky track by the Latin rap god Vico C. People say the father of reggaeton. But this is an old school track. I just love the production and the Spanish language rapping. And it's talking about Jason and shit. And it's just dope. This is like such a such a great uh, retro texture sonically. So let's go out on this. Viernes 13 by Vico C. All right. Well, the Daily Zeitgeist is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever podcasts are given away for free that is going to do it for us but we're back this afternoon to tell you what's trending and we will talk to y'all then bye bye bye